we're going to touch on a topic here that we've talked about before. We've argued about before. Now, hear me out, okay? We're going to be talking about increasing how much we pay politicians. And I know the immediate reaction for a lot of you is, are you kidding me? They make too much already. I, and I get it. I get the frustration a lot of us have with politicians. And the last thing that you want to do is be paying more for them, right? And they do pretty well in some cases, not all cases. That's what we're going to talk about. But what if... What if, now just hear me out, you could actually improve things and solve some of the problems that we have with our politicians if we did increase it? Not 100%, I get it. I get it. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're only going to have the absolute best of candidates. No, it's a democracy. You're going to get nicks all the time. That's the way it goes. Um, But let's have the conversation because I think there is some merit to it. And I'm not the only one. We're going to talk with uh, Dr. Zach Spicer, who's an associate professor of public policy and administration at York University. Uh, Dr. Spicer, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. No problem at all. Um, When you bring up this topic, I would imagine the reaction is usually sort of, are you crazy? Because that's what I get. Do you hear the same thing? I get that a lot. I get a lot of eyes rolling, stuff like that. I think a lot of people, uh, when you think of uh, politicians and politicians pay, you're thinking of perhaps federal MPs uh, who get paid pretty well. Then, of course, you add that in, you hear about generous pensions and stuff like that. None of that exists at the local level. So the perceptions are very different than what you may actually get. Uh, when you start looking at municipal government. Yeah, and Dr. Spice, that's what we're going to focus is the municipal levels, and uh, that includes rural communities and all the rest. I think, personally, there is no busier, harder-working politician anywhere than your municipal level. That's 24-7 in a lot of ways. Exactly. So there's, there's the sort of public-facing uh, part of the job, which is council, committee meetings, stuff like that. And then there's also... A ton of, of, of constituency work that um, that, provincial, that that provincial and federal representatives don't necessarily always have to do. So things like property standards, uh, if your garbage isn't isn't picked up, if the road's not cleared in time, um, councils deal with a lot of phone calls, a ton of emails, a ton of volume, and and often the first part, part, point of contact for for residents who are upset about particular servicing issues is a councillor, not, necess- not necessarily the municipality itself. And then beyond that, there's a ton of events, there's fairs, parades, stuff like that, where councillors are expected to be. You're expected to be present within your ward, uh, which, uh, and then these are, are events that often take place on the weekends yep. and evenings. So it's, it's a busy, busy, busy job. It sure is. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, in many cases, I mean, and not even smaller communities, like I, I, I lived and worked in Swift Current for a while, which is a town of about 20,000 people, roughly. And everybody, including the mayor who was on city council, they had other full-time jobs. I mean, we think of it, you know, a city of Edmonton, a city councillor is a city councillor, and that's their job. But in smaller communities... It's sort of a part-time, on-top-of-other-duties thing, right? Oftentimes it is, yes. And um, the the big challenge, though, is that it's not a traditional part-time job. It's not no. like doing Uber Eats or something like that, where it's kind of like a, a side hustle type, type of gig. There's a lot of work to be done. And there's a lot of reports that you have to read from staff to make informed decisions. Uh, you have to spend a lot of time... 
uh, working and reading and researching. And then there's uh, all the events and everything else happening. So it, it is a busy, busy gig. It's not a part-time job, even if it is listed as such. Now, what are we missing out on? I think there's some nuance here. You know, when we talk about it, it's not like we don't get enough candidates. We have all kinds of people that run for municipal office. Is it not the quantity, but the quality? Are we missing out on some really good candidates that might be interested if it paid a little more? It's a bit of both, right? So if you look at um, at some larger cities, um, there's no sort, there's no shortage of people who will put their names forward for council. So thinking of Edmonton, Calgary, um, acclamations are rare, right? But as you move outside a bit, um, here in Ontario, we have tons of rural rural councils where acclamations are common. In fact, last election we had three councils that were entirely acclaimed because there was no there was no candidates who yeah. actually put their put 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 their names forward. So in some cases, it is quantity, but it's also quality. So when we think about um, some some young professionals, people with families, people who are uh, just beginning careers, whether they're in say law or business or medicine or education or something like that. Um, even on some of the, the largest salaries that you get in cities, um, that's a bit of a pay cut for them, right? So some people may say, I would love to serve. I have great ideas. I'm passionate. I want to make a better community, but a- am I willing to take a $10,000 pay cut to do it? And in, in some cases, it's no. So part of the challenge is that we don't know who's not putting their names forward because of the structure of the position itself. I don't want to make it seem that paying them more is some sort of magic bullet sure. or not, but, it's a, it, but it is a great place to start. I think you're right. I think you know, a lot of the people will say, well, we're not getting the best and the brightest now. You're right. And, and changing the pay scale won't necessarily guarantee that. But I think, you know, you mentioned a good point. People who are just starting out in their careers, people who have families, we're missing out on some really good... It doesn't have to necessarily be even money uh, that makes the decision for them, but that's a big part of it. And it's a barrier that if we can get rid of it, we're going to get better candidates. I think so. So when when we look at um, at statistics uh, from out here across Ontario, what we're seeing is that um, the average age of councillor is 61. Uh, only 2% identify as a member of, of an ethnic minority group and 75% are male. So um, across Ontario, we're seeing a lot of councillors that are traditionally older, traditionally white, and traditionally men. And that's not to say that older white men don't have uh, a, a place on council, but when you're seeing a lot of homogeneity like that, yeah. um, you kind of ask a question that sort of the decisions and the perspectives that are being raised around council tables. So, um, and there are some reasons for that. So, when it's listed as a as a as a part time job, you almost have to be retired or independently wealthy to be able to do to be able to do this this job properly. So, if we start thinking about properly compensating people, that may get newer people thinking about running for for the position, which may change the sort of people who are who are joining around the council table. Yeah, all great points, Doctor. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. No problem at all. That's Dr. Dr. Zach Spicer, who is an associate professor in public policy and administration at York.